Hello and welcome to another episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Hamilton, Deputy Editor at Fintech Futures, and joining me this week are Sharon Kamathi, my editor at Fintech Futures. Hey, hey. And Victor Trakotis, co-founder and CEO of Savings Fintech Plum. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Uh, As has been the case for the past few weeks, we're all recording this podcast separately. Uh, One day soon, we'll hopefully get back into our lovely recording room. The topic this week, and what we'll be talking to Victor about a little later on, is open banking and savings. Uh, First things first, though, uh, we're going to pick up on some news from the past week in numbers. The three of us have gone out there and found some big number-led stories to talk about. Victor, since you're our guest, why don't you tell us what number has caught your eye and the story behind it this week? Yeah, so so my number is uh, ten million dollars raised by by Belvo, which is um, an aggregate open banking aggregation company that is looking is currently working in Mexico but looking to expand into Brazil. I actually know the business relatively well because we share investors. Uh, Venture Friends was uh, one of the early investors in them and in us. Uh, and they raised the ten million from Founders Fund, which is a fantastic news. A really good investor on board. I mean, clearly, there's been a lot of activity in the space since you know since uh, Visa bought Plaid. I mean, it's interesting to see, like you know, Founders Fund, a very prominent fund, you know, investing in the space in a particular geography, uh, and, and I think it's it's an over over, you know, extending of, of basically what's happening in the world where these open banking APIs are really interesting because there's so much you can build on top of them uh, from like both a data perspective, also from a payment perspective. Uh, Kiri Latam is, is a huge place uh, early in that journey. And, and I think Belvo is a company that's um, effectively um, focused on that area. So that it gives them an advantage to, you know, explore an area which other players are not in yet and, and really build a, a great business there. Um, for the future, so yeah, it was uh, it was a really um, it was really an interesting uh, investment uh, for, from our perspective, given that we we leverage open banking data ourselves as well. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a a good statement of intent as well that they're looking to uh, you know um, launch into a Brazilian expansion, and Latin America is one of those uh, areas of the world which is probably ripe for for the introduction of something like the systems that open banking brings along with it. I mean, uh, I think it's, I'm quoting figures off the top of my head here, but like, uh, I think it's uh, a third or nearly half of uh, the population in Latin America doesn't have, it doesn't have a bank account and a a few hundred million, uh, only a few hundred million have credit cards. So it's something where supplementary third party services can, can really help people who don't have that traditional banking avenue. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. There's um, it, it, it's going to be an interesting time um, for for businesses that build on top of this data uh, and and businesses that provide uh, uh, the infrastructure for it. So yeah, it's it's um, you know I mean clearly Visa bought Plaid because there's there's a big payment element to it and and potentially they, these are new payment rails uh, which which clearly could disrupt uh, the credit card network. So I think it's really like you know crucial global. Uh, infrastructure that is in the process of being built. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and we've seen actually in Latin America quite a bit of investment and growth recently. So Santander Innoventures invested a an undisclosed sum, so who knows what they invested, but they did put money into the small medium-sized enterprise lender A55. Um, New Bank as well, the Brazilian and Mexico-based Neobank reached 25 million customers this week. 
um, and Addy, a Colombian fintech which offers consumer credit in four minutes, allegedly, has landed a 15 million investment round too. So I'm really glad to see Latin American fintechs doing really well. Excellent. Well, uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll bring in uh, my uh, number for this week um, and the story behind it. So my number is uh, 74 uh, and it's 74%. That's the amount by which shares in MoneyGram rose in trading following rumors that the company is being targeted for an acquisition by money transfer giant Western Union. So according to reports in Bloomberg, Western Union is looking to snap up MoneyGram, which has around $900 million in debt and has arguably struggled to match up to its larger competitors in recent years. Uh, MoneyGram obviously made some headlines a few months back by partnering with blockchain firm Ripple uh, in a deal which, according to some regulatory uh, filings, Ripple had paid uh, MoneyGram $11.3 million for, um, with MoneyGram deploying block- the blockchain firm's on-demand liquidity service. So the deal, uh, I think the deal seems big at first glance, but MoneyGram's market value is actually below plenty of others on the market, including uh, Remitly, World Remit, and TransferWise. But uh, it seems that it's another step, this acquisition down that well-trodden road at the minute of consolidation in the payment space, uh, though it's perhaps uh, a more surprising one than your average fintech being snapped up by a larger player. Um, and I think it just sort of, it's another you know notch on that consolidation piece that we've been looking at for some time on our website. And I think it's something we probably see a lot more of. Um, obviously, the figures haven't been announced uh, Western Union has neither confirmed nor denied it, neither has MoneyGram, but it's uh, it's certainly an interesting one. What do you think, Sharon? Well, I think it's actually kind of funny. It's kind of like Carol Baskin's taking over Tiger King Zoo. There's my, my reference. <laughs> but yeah, Western Union and MoneyGram both reported revenue losses in their second quarter last year. Western Union reported a 5% decrease year over year in revenue to $1.3 billion. And MoneyGram reported an even bigger revenue loss of 14% year over year, falling to $323.8 billion. Uh, so it's just a bit funny that both of these giants or people would consider them giants in the past in payments and remittances are now trying to come together like a last ditch attempt uh, to survive in this climate. Um, not only that, but also... I recall last year when we wrote the piece about their revenue losses, we received plenty of feedback and comments from our readers about how they were either defrauded, scammed, or had really bad experiences with their customer services. Um, And when our reporter Ruby um, actually spoke to the chief of global operations, Camilla, uh, over at MoneyGram, she told us, we can't make everybody happy. We're not a startup that can process things for 99 cents and live off investor money. We do actually have to have a margin. So that's kind of funny now that, you know, we can look back on that moment and kind of have a chuckle because it seems like they maybe should have worked on their customer service. And although they're not a startup, there are plenty of startups in this area that have now pretty much overtaken them. So that's pretty hilarious to me. What about you, Victor? What do you think about the story? Yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I, I was um, I was an early employee of Transwise, so I I know the space uh, quite well. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's um, 
the reality is that uh, they're in a bad spot, right? So um, you probably have Western Union. Um, I don't know for what price they're buying MoneyGram, but they're probably buying you know, the revenue of MoneyGram to a certain degree. They're definitely not buying the technology. Uh, I presume the network is quite overlapping anyway. Uh, but yeah, it, it is exactly that, a last-ditch attempt to, um, to basically... I don't even think it's to save the, the long-term future, but it's probably just consolidating revenue. So clearly still not taking um, enough steps to really shake things up. And as you said, like improve customer support or, or, or like invest enough in technology so that they can lower the cost. So it's, um, it feels like a slow death uh, for these um, older players uh, that, that, you know, they just can't compete with the infrastructure um, and the cost base that some of these newer players have, right? And, and, and the user experiences. So it's, uh, it's an interesting move for sure. Exactly. Excellent. And uh, I think, uh, as you said there, we'll, maybe we'll move on from a, a slow death to a, to a fast success, a similar uh, sort of sector um, in the multi-currency currency space. But Sharon, you've got an interesting story you brought, brought this week. Yes. Yes. So my number is $706,000. Um, that's because the Ugandan multi-currency wallet Eversend crowdfunded that amount on Cedars. Uh, the startup has issued an 8.74% in equity to investors valuing the business at roughly 7.4 million. Um, it was actually 15% over its fundraise target. Uh, and it still has a few more weeks to go before the crowdfunding campaign ends. So that's pretty promising for them. Uh, the company was founded in 2017 and offers mobile only banking powered by blockchain. Like many others in the region, it's targeting the financial services market for the underserved. So users can send money to wallets and bank accounts using mobile apps, unstructured supplementary service data and chatbots. Um, it also has an option for crypto uh, and also buying travel insurance uh, in addition to some personal loans. So a bunch of features uh, which are really interesting for, for that region in East Africa specifically. So maybe it's trying to come for M-Pesa, which is kind of similar and it's been in the space for quite some time and it will be good to get some competition there. Um, another point as well, since we're talking about this capital raise that's not even closed yet, I've seen a few venture capitalist firms on Twitter talking about looking for more companies led by people of color to invest in. Um, so SoftBank COO Marcelo Clore said that the firm will create a 100 million fund that will, quote unquote, only invest in companies led by founders and entrepreneurs of color. But for me, I think it's kind of funny because... It's investing a hundred million, which is kind of nothing in today's market when they invested 7.5 billion in WeWork and gave Adam Newman 1.7 billion to leave the company after he failed. And also my apprehension here is that this has taken way too long for the industry to finally jump into. Like all of these startups have been there during all this time waiting for investors. And as I spoke about in a couple of ep episodes ago, um, with the UK launching a startup fund, I mentioned how this might actually discriminate against companies led by black founders, as these firms don't often meet the market capital raise requirements to participate in these funding programs. But now that it's in the spotlight and there's the issue of racism, systemic and institutional racism, it seems like a lot of these companies are coming out the woodworks to support these causes. I can only hope genuinely deep down that these firms actually do put their money where their mouth is. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was going to make a point about I, I, 
I, I sort of put my hand up in our in our virtual chat room here when uh, before you started talking about WeWork and Adam Neumann, but I'll uh, I'll definitely swing swing aside from that topic about WeWork in particular. <laughs> but I think it's I think the EverSend story is it's fantastic and it sort of ties in as well. It's fantastic to see um, solutions like this appearing in their home markets. I mean, obviously, everyone likes to talk about the success of companies like your your Revoluts, uh, who can jump into markets really quickly with their established services. But it's great to see um, local alternatives because uh, it's it, 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 in things like uh, multi-currency e-wallet systems uh, cropping up and, and doing well and offering that competition because um, that's what the industry is about, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That is what it's about, um, trying to see this innovation come to fruition with lots of different players in the market, not just one. Um, and I'm personally no fan of just having one, you know, big company taking over everything. So it's it's good to have Impesa sort of sweat it a little bit. Um, what do you think, Victor? Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. It's almost like uh, it's good to see, as you say, these like local plays that are, um, you know, you mentioned Revolut, right? I mean, they can't uh, compete or, or win in every market. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of financial products are very like, you know, um, very much tied to, to, you know, how the, the local uh, industry and economy works. So I would only expect and encourage, you know, more and more people to launch, you know, like business models or, or like, you know, types of businesses or services really to consumers that are in need uh, in these local markets. And I hope they get like all the support they can have because a lot of these things are proven to have a need right uh, elsewhere. And, 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 and I think, um, and I think they can really do well um, in, in, in many, many geographies. Right. So uh, hopefully we see a lot more of this to be honest and, and, and fueled by, by investment. So we've arrived at the main course of the podcast where we open up the discussion on a specific industry topic. This week, we are discussing open banking and savings. Uh, but first, to give some context to listeners, uh, Plum raised three million pounds last November towards its goal of helping customers make better savings choices. So I'm going to start off by asking, Victor, if you could perhaps introduce Plum to, to those listening and, and let us know if you have any more funding plans in the works for, for this year or 2021. Yeah, great. Thanks, Alex. Uh, I mean, yeah, Plum, Plum is your, your automated financial assistant. Uh, and this basically means that by connecting your bank account to Plum via open banking, which is the topic, right, we help you do three main things. One, automatically start saving money, so putting money aside that you can use later on in your life. Two, making sure that that money grows over time so you can start investing that money uh, through um, our stocks and shares, ISA, or just a general investment account. You can invest in like either theme-based funds, like you can invest in tech, emerging markets, uh, clean energy, or you can in, uh, invest in like more traditional balanced portfolios, which are like high, low, medium risk, right? Uh, so that means you're putting money aside and it's growing. And then finally, we also believe that uh, through the data that we see in open banking, we can also help people a lot more with their spend. And, and we are attacking large expenses, right? Uh, and how we can reduce those. So think of all of the bills that you are paying. Um, how can you reduce those? So your utility bill, your credit card bills, your loans, your mortgages, your, um, your broadband, 
uh, all of those bills, given that we see that you're paying them, we can detect if we think there's a better way uh, for you to get the same service, but at a much lower cost. So overall, uh, with this data and with this automation, right, uh, in place, we believe that people can be like 10% uh, better off in year one, right? Uh, an average consumer, right? Um, by saving a thousand pounds a year that they weren't saving before and also saving a thousand pounds a year on their various bills. And then over their lifetime, if they do choose to invest uh, due to the compounding effect of investing, uh, people can be 20% better off because the, just by putting like something relatively small, like 500 pounds uh, a year aside, that accumulates over time uh, and, and ends up uh, giving them uh, 20% more of, of their like kind of current income. Um, for, for the long-term future. So, so, so that, that's what we've built. That's what we're executing uh, with Plum. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we raised some money uh, last year. Uh, th that money has been used to uh, build the product, uh, build the product team, expand, um, expand what we do and, and the services we offer. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and basically, uh, yeah, can't discuss future funding plans exactly, but like uh, we're, we're basically in an expansion mode uh, right now as a business, uh, because we think there's a lot of opportunity, uh, out there, um, yeah, to, to expand and, and build our proposition, um, yeah, across Europe. And how has the pandemic affected people's saving and spending habits? Have they done so at all? Yes, they have. Um, I mean, clearly people spend less overall, right? Uh, and, uh, given that we have an automated savings product, uh, we've definitely seen that in the numbers. So we've seen basically um, three times more savings uh, per month than we normally do, which is quite massive. Um, yeah, so people are spending less, uh, they're checking their bills more, uh, and as a consequence, they're saving uh, a lot more money uh, during this period, which is good because we see people paying off uh, debt faster uh, and, and other big expenses that normally eat into their, their income they're able to, to address that. So yeah, we've seen a, a dramatic uh, effect on, on how much people are saving. Well, that's kind of, a, I guess, a weird good point then from this coronavirus outbreak. At least some people can use it for some savings, albeit we have a relatively low interest rate happening across the board. But enough of that. Uh, late last year, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision published its report on open banking. And one of the challenges highlighted by them was the lack of standardization of application program, pro programming interfaces, APIs. Do you think standardization would help the industry? If so, what kind? Yeah. So look, um, clearly there, there's a lot of, um, we, and we talked in the early part of the show about um, Belvo and, 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 and all of these companies like Trulair in the UK or Stripe, uh, not Stripe, Plaid in the US that are building uh, these aggregators that allow you to plug into one one provider, so you can get access to all of the open banking to all of the open banking, or we should say, PSD two APIs, right? So the APIs of the banks, right? Um, however, like there are still intricacies in each of these APIs, which is why you almost have the need for these businesses to exist that go through all of those intricacies uh, in order to connect to the banks. I mean it's clearly just uh, a technology overhead and like a waste of energy, right? Um, of, of every bank uh, building things in a different way, because it means that anyone that wants to get access to that bank's data has to uh, interface with that bank in, in, in a unique way and can't use what they've been uh, building with other, other, um, other connections. So, so the more standardization that exists, uh, it means that the faster that this, uh, the, the adoption uh, of, of, of this can happen, which is basically the, the, the purpose, right? If you put a lot of like, you know, 
roadblocks and, 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 and technological challenges in being able to access data. It'll happen slower. It might not happen at all in certain instances. So yeah, standardization is, is, is very, uh, uh, very critical. Um, and I think the UK has done a better job, uh, and, and that's the point of open banking, right? That the, the, the top nine banks standardize their APIs. Uh, so that's happened to a relatively good uh, effect, but across Europe, uh, that has not been the case. And there hasn't been anyone that's been uh, imposing um, in the same way that it's happened in the UK uh, standardization uh, of the APIs. That's so interesting, because I guess once Brexit happens, there might be a bit of a, a rift there too, because I know the UK in many instances is sort of um, leading in terms of like putting in regulations in place and actually like putting in systems um, that are more standardized across the board. So I wonder what do you actually think about like moving forward since the standard is quite high here? What will happen to the rest of Europe since we're on the topic about harmonization? Yeah, I I mean, I I think, I mean, I I don't think um, even, I mean, Brexit aside, I, I don't think, I mean, I think that path has already kind of started. Um, in Europe, I mean, like, I don't think there's any turning back or really, I, I think like immediately harmonizing the APIs, but maybe over time they will. Right. Um, but hopefully, you know, um, being in Europe or out of Europe, uh, you know, I think good practice cross geography hopefully is, you know, is, 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 is visible and, and, and respected and, 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 and hopefully can be adopted, um, uh, by local governments. And then hopefully those local governments can, you know, create initiatives that, 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 you know, force banks or give guidelines to banks as to what, how they should build these APIs so that they can make the ecosystem uh, a lot more efficient. That's what I'd, I'd hope really. Uh, I, I really hope so too. And aside from the harmonization area, the BCBS also raised questions about issues regarding data privacy, cybersecurity, and third-party risk management. How do you think the industry can best overcome these hurdles? Look, I, I think I think data security and 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 um, data security and cybersecurity are, are like you know are going to be the topics um, going forward, not only in 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 open banking uh, and PSD two, but in, in in all industries, right? I mean, there's credit card details being stolen, there's 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 e commerce websites being hacked for different things, right? So it, it's kind of like. Um, it's it's kind of like a a, a topical topic, right? Uh, um, so so I don't think so. I think if anything, given that in order to access these APIs, you need to be a regulated firm, means that there's certain standards that you need to adhere to, right? In order to get that regulation, right? And there is clearly a big data security element uh, to that application and getting approved. So so I think if anything, um, there there is a mechanism to. To, to set a certain basic standard, at least for now. And then there's a mechanism that, uh, which is the regulator, right? That regulates these firms that can enhance that, that, that standard. So I am not massively concerned in a way uh, because there's like more mechanisms in our domain, which uh, f- we fall under the scrutiny of a regulator that, than in other areas that there might be data breaches uh, and, and where customer consumer data is, is kind of like potentially exposed. So uh, I think it's like a, it's a comment that anyone would say, right? It's always a concern data. Like you can't say, oh, I'm not concerned about data, but I, I think we're in a better place than, than many industries. And what benefits do you think that open banking can provide, especially for savers in a low slash negative interest rate economic climate? Well, look, I, I think, um, I, I, I think it, it hopefully can be major. Uh, I think that like, um, 
we believe at Plump, right? At least that like uh, these open banking, the fact that open banking exists means that any any bill that you pay can be like massively scrutinized by a player, right? Let, let's say like Plum and, and an alternative bill, um, an alternative provider uh, like recommended to you. But what this means is that when you have like commodity services, right? And, and what are commodity services? Like, you know, your utility bill, it's a commodity service, right? Uh, borrowing money from someone is a commodity, right? It, you're borrowing money. There's nothing more commodity than money, right? So all of these services are commodity um, and, and throughout time, uh, because there wasn't like kind of transparency on what you were paying, different companies charge different things to different people for this exact same thing, right? So I think that the possibility, and this is why open banking was pushed, was for competition. And I hope that like this will mean that um, we will really push um, providers that are offering good service at a, at a very competitive cost to grow, right? Uh, and as a consequence, uh, lower the cost for consumers uh, in, in a very like big, big and immediate way. Um, so I think that's like a kind of an ongoing process and a very like immediate benefit to consumers. But I think over the, but like, I think what I'm more excited and I think that'll happen. Uh, but the benefit I think is more like long run and more like complex where if you are able to look at someone's bank account and, and, and see what they're doing, you're able to recommend them ways to put more money aside. Uh, and, and I think that the, the interest rate environment is, it's not, not necessarily irrelevant, but like, you know, people should understand that the way to invest is also to invest in the, the stock market. And, and why do you invest in the stock market is because you're investing in businesses that grow and your money grows over time. Right. And if you're taking a long term approach to things, that's something that I believe um, uh, you, you should do. Right. Uh, uh, it, it, it's way more beneficial than, you know, uh, earning, I don't know, 0.5% or 0.25% at Barclays. I mean, it's irrelevant, right? At the end of the day. So, um, so, so I, th I think uh, opening up the financial system in this way will allow people to start making, doing more with their money uh, and, and hopefully doing more than just thinking that savings accounts is the only way to, uh, to earn a return on, 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 on your money for the long run. Okay, now we've reached the last third of the show and the scariest part of the show if you're a purveyor of fintech buzzwords. It's the fintech jail. This is where our guest submits a term, a trend, a technology or something else in the industry that gets on their nerves and tells us why it should be locked away for good with the key thrown away. Sharon and I will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or not. So, Victor, what term or buzzword do you want to be thrown away in jail? Blockchain is the word. That's a bingo. We've got the first the blockchain, first person to mention blockchain on the podcast, so you get an award for that one. But uh, <laughs> what, in particular, what in particular irritates you about blockchain? No, I think what irritates me uh, is that um, like, it's used as if it's the solution to problems that have existed for very long, right? Uh, which normally these problems are X person knowing that Y person did something, right? Uh, and, and clearly that's just like um, a way to pass on information, right? And, and, and it's just about like two businesses deciding how they want to communicate that X and Y has happened. And, and, and the fact that they haven't been doing it so long, right, in an efficient way is not really because blockchain wasn't around, was because they never, like, bothered to 
you know, solve that problem with, you know, they can solve it in a million ways. So, so I just don't see that blockchain is in any way like revolutionizing how we do things. It's, it's still very much driven by like, you know, companies deciding that they want to do something better uh, and then they can implement technology. Uh, let it be whatever technology, right? It doesn't have to have a, a buzzy name like blockchain in order to kind of get information flowing in a way that they think is, is more, um, more efficient. So, so yeah, so that's why I think it's a, a, a like a, a, a word that de- deserves to be in the jail because it's not really solving any problem um, in a unique way. Yeah. I think, I think that uh, um, it feels a little bit like um, kicking uh, someone while they're down really at this point with blockchain. I mean, I've been to, I've been to conferences where people have mentioned blockchain technology and the audience has laughed. And I feel like, um, while I agree that it definitely has a lot of um, misused applications, there are some places like in supply chain or in documentation where it can really help. But I agree in the fact that for a long time, people thought blockchain was going to solve every problem under the sun. And I think perhaps that's changed a little bit. And I think if you ask anyone at Ripple, they'll probably be quite irritated that that's the mm. reputation blockchain has right now. Um, I mean, this is a strange one because it seems like we're, we're talking about a, a, a topic that feels like it's already in the jail. I don't know about you, Sharon. <laughs> yes, we were yeah. talking about it before where I was searching everywhere to see if we already put it in the jail, but luckily for it, it we definitely didn't and it was crypto exchanges instead. Um, it feels like something we've actually already said open and shut case Watson. It's in there, it's getting 20 years. But now that I think about it, as you mentioned, it is good when it's used correctly in the right context. So not for when someone's trying to say we can cure coronavirus with blockchain. Uh-uh, you're not, you're not going to solve that sort of issue with that sort of thing. But if you are mentioning it in terms of like an actual open distributed ledger recording technology, then I don't know, I guess it's longer to say all those words than just say blockchain. So yeah. I'm thinking maybe give it five years with a review. like Some probation. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Like, like, do you think you can give it a longer sentence? Or do you just want like, you know, a short one with, you know, a couple of reviews and parole? Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll turn this to Victor. Victor, what do you think? Would you be happy with, with blockchain perhaps being given, a, given another five years? Yeah, no, I, I, I like, I like giving a chance. Uh, it always seems to get another like uh, run anyway. So it feels like five years is, is a good amount of time to, to give it. And then maybe, Maybe something happens we don't predict and and, and uh, we let it out. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for on this episode of What the Fintech. Uh, so thanks to Sharon. Thank you. Thanks as always. And thanks to Victor. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, anyone who wants to start saving money can uh, download Plum. Yeah, it was an enjoyment being on the show. Sure, fantastic. And um, Sharon, while while we're on the subject of uh, things to download or things to plug, um, what have you got? Um, I've actually not got anything to plug. I mean, I've plugged most of my stuff, but if you haven't actually (laughs) read... Um, my paper on crypto, I, we, since we were on the topic anyway, then please do go on my LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find it there. Um, and it's just about how crypto is, is not that great. 
So yeah, if, if that's your your bag, then go on it. You can find it at FinTech Kits. That's FinTech, like the way you normally spell it. And then K-I-T-S. Um, and that's on Twitter. And you can just find me on LinkedIn by searching my name. That's Sharon Kits Kimathy. Um, and yeah, just, you know, say hey or don't say hey. Just Just add me without any sort of, you know, context. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> like everyone else does. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at ADHamilton91 uh, and on LinkedIn just by searching my name and trying to filter out all of the people who share uh, my particularly famous name. As for FinTech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at, at @fintechfutures, and on LinkedIn just by searching for FinTech Futures and looking for our lovely logo. Uh, if you like this podcast and this episode or any of our other episodes, then please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service. We'd also really appreciate it if you could help other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us to a friend. Um, but thanks very much for your support in the meantime. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>